mission is to bring diverse films, provide education of the art and history of cinema, and encourage filmmaking in northeastern Maine. More information at rivercitycinema.com or 358-9396. No new Valentine's Day is coming up, and this year it will be a great night to grab your sweetie or your bestie or maybe just a handful of chocolate and head to the Alamo Theater in Bucksport. Treat yourself to Love Stories by Mainers, a live storytelling event sponsored by WERU and Wednesday on Maine. Doors will open at 6 o'clock and refreshments will be served in the lobby until the stories start at 6.30. These stories have not been screened for content or language, so this would be a good night to leave the kids at home. Suggested donations of $10 will be gratefully accepted at the door, with half of the donations going to support WERU. Among the storytellers will be some voices that you recognize from our airwaves, including Rob McCall, host of Awanajo Almanac, Brooke Minner, host of Bookworm, and Anu Dudley, host of Earthwise, as well as several other popular returning local storytellers and a few who are new to our stage. That's Love Stories by Mainers, a night out for grown-ups. Valentine's night, Wednesday, February 14th, at the Alamo Theater in Bucksport. Doors open at 6 o'clock. See you there. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and Opera House Arts at the Stonington Opera House with a schedule of concerts, theater, live family entertainment, and first-run movies. Tickets and information at operahousearts.org. WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and on the web at WERU.org, presenting diverse music and alternative public affairs. Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media. It's 20 seconds after the hour, 4 o'clock. It's time for Maine Currents. This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman. John covered the immigrant rights rally at the Concord Trailways bus station in Bangor Saturday. And you may have heard about the rally, but in our first segment today, you'll have a chance to hear what all the speakers had to say. Some background, there have been reports of border agents getting on buses in the Bangor area and asking people where they were born. We've been able to confirm with two passengers on a Greyhound bus earlier in January where that occurred. And I've spoken with a manager at the Concord Trailways in Bangor who confirmed that that does occur on their buses as well, although he refused to say how frequently. Saturday's rally was in response to this, but also other issues facing immigrants in the state, John. Well, that's right, Amy. On Saturday, it was really, really cold, but at least 40 to 50 people came out and stood on the sidewalk in front of the uh, bus station there. Uh, A SEER bus came from the north, and um, a Concord coach bus came from the south, and we were all listening to a bunch of different people who had things to say about what concerned them in the realm of immigration rights and and, uh, what's happening in the news. There's someone in Waterville facing deportation, uh, a representative from the Penobscot Nation talked about all of us being immigrants. Um, maybe not as much she, but uh, the rest of us anyway are. And uh, there's a statement from a sister city delegation in El Salvador, uh, which was down there studying immigration issues. So uh, in all, it was a varied, varied uh, 40 to 50 minutes in the cold. Let's listen to it. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here this morning. 
My name is Karen Mary's daughter. I work at the Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine. I'd like to first take a few moments to acknowledge that we are all standing on native land. This is land that has been inhabited and nurtured by the Wabanaki peoples for countless generations. So if we could just take a moment to reflect on that. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that except for native peoples who were here before anyone else came and except for African peoples who were stolen from their lands and brought here against their will and their descendants, the rest of us are all the descendants of immigrants or immigrants ourselves. So let's be very clear that this is a nation that is predominantly peopled at this moment by immigrants and descendants of immigrants. So I'll have a few remarks from a few folks this morning. Somebody just noted that cold makes our brains work slower. Oh, I wanna just say uh, thank the sponsoring organizations. The Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine, the Maine People's Alliance, the Health Equity Alliance, Resources for Organizing and Social Change, Mainers for Accountable Leadership, Hamden Area Diversity, the Wilson Center for Spiritual Exploration and a Multi-Faith Dialogue, Bangor High School's Women's Interest Group, Indivisible Bangor, Eastern Maine Racial Justice, the Socialist Party of Eastern Maine, Greater Bangor Area, NAACP, Home Incorporated, and the um, Power in Community Alliances, PICA Group. So you can see that this is a message that is supported by a wide range of organizations in this area. I'm gonna uh, give a brief statement from Angela Okafor. She is an immigrant from Nigeria, living here in the Bangor area. She was due to come speak today, but ended up with a sick child that she had to deal with. So we're sorry to miss her. But she warns us, today it is me, tomorrow it will be you. The sooner we realize this is a fight for one race, our human race, the better for our world. Humanity is stronger than race. And I also have a statement from Dennis Chinoy. Power and Community Alliances here in Bangor has worked on issues uh, with Central American folks for many years. Um, and Dennis actually is in El Salvador right at this moment. At, with the um, sister city immigrant delegation. They stand in solidarity with us. We have been listening to stories of the realities of forced migration in our sister city of Carrasque and in San Salvador. All of us here, thank you for being there. Thank you. Okay. Now, Sarah, would you like to come up? Hi, my name is Sarah Novak and I am second generation here, sorry. Um, my relatives, uh, many didn't make it out of the camps. Those who did came home in fear. Uh, I grew up hearing how afraid they were every single day. I am the proud mother of three immigrant children. I heard the story of how students who were returning to Portland from our area here in Bangor were picked up, not picked up, I'm sorry, asked to leave the bus and asked if they were um, US citizens. To me, that is appalling. This is a melting pot. We took the land from natives. We became a melting pot over the years. 
And now we are looking to become a white nation under what? Not God. Because as I remember reading the Bible, Jesus was not a white man. So I stand here and I think of all that's happening. And when I was in the convent, we worked to get people out of El Salvador who were being killed, people who were targeted, people who had nowhere to go. And now I read that those same people who came as refugees are now on lists to go back. Yet we have MS-13 who target El Salvador people, the people from El Salvador. We have MS-13 who are killing them and we're not deporting them. We are taking people who are fathers, mothers, children, students. We're not looking at, at why we're, as a nation, we're, we're just looking at who. When did we become this country that doesn't allow individuals freedom? Isn't that what is on our Statue of Liberty? Isn't that what it says? Aren't we all supposed to be one and aren't we all humans? And isn't it time we all stood up, not just this group, but everywhere and said, no, they're asking everyone on the buses, will it be you next? You know, what's the famous saying? First, they came for the Jews. I was silent. Then they came for the Muslims. I was silent. Now they're coming for me. I'm not going to be silent. I will not stand back and allow fellow humans to be demeaned, degraded and deported. I am standing for all. I am human. Right on, Sarah. Mary Ellen, would you like to come speak? This is Mary Ellen Quinn with uh, Posh Christie, Maine and the Peace and Justice Center. My name is Mary Ellen Quinn. I serve as co-coordinator of Pax Christi, Maine, the Catholic Peace and Justice Movement. As a Christian and a faithful student of the nonviolent Jesus, I am called to stand with you all on this bright, wintry day. Each one of us here today is here for a reason. Each one of us feels compelled to be standing here in solidarity, side by side with our sisters and brothers, experiencing intimidation, harassment, and fear. We are all immigrants and refugees. Your struggle is our.
persecution, climate change, violence, extreme poverty, and inhumane living conditions. They have come to this country to improve their lives and provide for their families. Today we are immersed in a political environment which targets immigrants and refugees, and the targeting is increasing in its scope and intensity. The agenda is to marginalize people, to paint a picture of them as criminals, as dangerous to our communities. The fear-infused rhetoric urges us to see them as the other, different from us, but this is not the truth. We are all immigrants and refugees. What is our responsibility to our brothers and sisters among us? The protection of refugees and immigrants is a moral imperative. I believe that faith communities must be vocal and visible in this effort. Today, I call upon all people of conscience, people of faith from all traditions, to embrace the call to love one another and to see our interconnectedness. Our common value is our commitment to the protection of human rights, of civil rights, the rights of individuals and families to migrate and to seek new opportunities. It is critical that each of us reflect upon the reason why we came here today. There we will connect with our passion and our heart for justice. The times we are in do not allow for silence or complacency or a belief that somehow this will all pass in time. We are one human family. As the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Whatever affects one directly affects all. To continue this work, we must gain strength from one another. We must form community and share our stories. We can draw upon the strength of our faith traditions, of our principles, our values, and convictions so we do not fall prey to the fear-mongering. Most importantly, we must continue to raise our voices in opposition to policies and practices that inflict suffering, separate families, and target vulnerable communities. Resistance is an instrument of peace. As we resist, we must also hold a vision of a world infused with the love of neighbor, a new culture of peace and nonviolence where all people's lives are held sacred. Thank you for being here today. Your presence demonstrates courage, inspires others, and strengthens our spirit of solidarity. Thank you. We're not going to have a few words from Don Neptune of the Penobscot Nation. Quay Quay, Aguanu, and Louise Don, Neptune Adams, Nian Barabskewi. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Don, and I am from the Penobscot Nation. <laughs> I brought some smudge here today, some sage. It helps to to breathe it in, so we can breathe out that peace and that recognition 
that we are all related, we are all connected, and we are all one. There's a place in Louisiana near the Huma Nation, and it's, it's underwater now. It's where I met my daughter's father. I cannot even take her to the place where I met her father because it is underwater, because of climate change. Uh, the Huma Nation in that area is the first in the United States to be recognized as climate refugees. And they are being given money by the federal government to move from their ancestral homeland. This is happening all over the world. I don't know if anybody recalls uh, the days when it was 167 degrees Fahrenheit in Syria, and people were dying. That comes from the, the climate change uh, that is happening around the world. We're seeing extreme weather, um, extreme conditions everywhere, and we're gonna need to welcome our relatives to wherever it is safe. We're going to need to recognize that we're all one family. There's going to come a time when we're all going to have to move to high ground. And I hope to heck we're going to get along a lot better than we are now. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to close with just this, this simple prayer that I learned from Arnie Neptune uh, back when I was a teenager. Great Spirit, watch over us, guide us through our pains and sorrows, and never let us fear this life on earth. Thank you, everyone, and uh, yeah, let's all watch out for one another. Thank you, Dawn. Um, Yes, we have leaflets here that were given out to bus passengers to let bus passengers know their rights. Um, but now we're going to hear, Heather, if you would come, just read something briefly about um, Lexus St. Martin from Waterville. Today at noon in Waterville, there is also a rally in support of comprehensive immigration reform. And specifically in support of the St. Martin family of Waterville. The St. Martins are facing the imminent deportation of Lexus St. Martin, a refugee who arrived from Haiti when he was 11 years old and grew up to be a father, a husband, and a sole earner of the household. Losing him would be devastated for his wife and children who are U.S. citizens and native Mainers. We urge everyone to call your representatives today and ask them to do four things. Support comprehensive immigration reform to prevent more families from experiencing this heartbreak, heartbreaking situation. Release a public statement in support of St. Martin's. Call the regional directors of ICE and request that they exercise uh, prosecutorial discretion in the St. Mr. St. Martin's case and sponsor a private bill that would provide immigration status relief to the Mr. St. Martin. The St. Martins are hardworking main, are hardworking main family. They are homeowners.
They are taxpayers with two mainborn kids and another on the way. They deserve, they deserve the same liberties and protections as the rest of us. Mainers are counting on our representatives to have the courage to stand up for this family and for all immigrant families in Maine. And now we have Marie, pronounce your middle name. Falatar Smith. Falatar <laughs> Smith from Mainers for Accountable Leadership. I wanted to read um, a statement from a young dreamer I've had the privilege of working with in the past couple of weeks. I'm 20, I live in Portland, and I was born in El Salvador. I came here at six. With the DACA program, program ending, I am 100% scared for my family. Being a first generation member to graduate high school and attend college, I am a role model for my siblings who were born here. I am creating a path that they can follow. I can't imagine me being separated from my family, from my siblings, my parents, who would support them and raise them. Who could do that but family? Whenever I think about being separated from them, my heart aches. They are my heart, and I do not know what I would do without them. I'm speaking on behalf of my family, my friends, and the community. I hope there is some way to stop the family from being separated and stop everything from be we've worked for being taken away from us, being sent back to countries where there is literally nothing we can do. Right now is not a remotely hopeful opportunity. I am scared and every day I live in fear. Maine Dreamers, the 800,000 Dreamers across this nation are living in fear. In September, the DACA program was ended by Trump and our congressional leaders have until March 5th to protect the Dreamers. So what can you guys do? Well, next week, we will have one more vote on the budget. And the hope is that a protection, a bipartisan bill that was um, worked on by both Collins and King will be passed before they vote for funding. So we need you to call Senator Collins. We need you to call Senator King. We need you to call Representative Poliquin and Representative Pingree and urge them to protect the dreamers urge them to use their political power and position to make public statements, to speak on the Senate floor, and to pressure their colleagues um, to, to, keep, to make a path for citizenship for the dreamers. Deportation is not an option, and we will hold them accountable for the lives that they are putting on the line and the, and the lively lives that they've established and that these dreamers have established in Maine and across the country if they are taken from them. So it's up to us to make it happen. Okay, uh, just a couple more words about what, what we can do. So if any of us are riding the bus or anywhere else where border agents or ICE agents show up and start asking where you were born, 
you have the legal right to remain silent. And if all the rest of us may remain silent, it's going to be a lot harder for them to pick out the immigrants documented or undocumented. So it's our duty to stand up and say, no, we're not going to be part of a system where you're just going to randomly come around and ask people where they were born. So that's one thing you can do. Also, with the Dreamers, they're already here. They're already here. We can get in the way of them being deported. We can put our bodies in the way of them being deported. So think about ways that you can take them into your home. You can show up at ICE or at the Border Patrol and say, deport me. I thought, swap your ID with somebody who's undocumented. Whatever. Think up creative ways to put your body and your safety on the line to protect people who are already here. Don't let them take them away from us. So thank you for coming today. Uh, oh, one other thing, we can encourage Concord Trailways to let their passengers know their rights. I don't, Larry, did they agree to have some flyers? No. In there, no. Not yet. But we can encourage them to let their passengers know their rights. How about not letting agents on the bus if they're not a passenger? Not Thank forcing you. their passengers off the bus. <laughs> Keep, keep thinking creatively. There are things that we can do. Remind our politicians that people are not bargaining chips. Thank you. People are not bargaining chips. Thank you, people. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman, who covered that rally in Bangor on Saturday. And the MC of that event was Karen Mary's daughter, by the way. Shifting gears now, over the past few weeks, people have been taking to social media to share experiences with CMP bills that have doubled, tripled, or even more in recent months, especially in January. They say they're far beyond what they have had to pay uh, usually this time of year, even taking into account the cold spell that we had recently. Facebook threads are filled with people comparing their experiences and speculating about the cause Many say they have reported their concerns to CMP and to the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, and they're not satisfied with the response. Some are even talking about taking legal action. Here are just a handful of the comments that are posted just in the last couple of days by several different individuals. Uh, Quote, our garage bill went from $35 a month roughly to $240, end quote. Uh, another quote, my bill doubled and I have the old analog meter. Another says, mine quadrupled, not usage, and if that's a race, rate increase, we're all in trouble. Another says, quote, my bill has doubled in the last two months compared to last year. My kids and I are gone more than we were last year. How are we using up more electricity? Another person says, mine almost tripled. I'm still in shock and I live on a pension. Another says, quote, I can't afford it either. I'm on disability and mine tripled as well. Still another, did not lose power and the October bill was more than double my seven-year average for October. Another, quote, I have lived alone for 28 days out of every month. I work 10 hours a day, six days a week from 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. When my husband is home, he isn't plugging in anything to make up the difference for when he's not home. It's not personal use. I have no furnace, LED lights, no space heaters. My appliances are a month old. My hot water heater is six months old. I've shut the breakers to rooms I don't use. I have no well, so no pump. 
I have one TV and watch it one hour per day. Can you give me any explanation how my kilowatt hours went from 38 in December to 89 in January based on this information, end quote. And finally, quote, I talked to the PUC this morning about our bill doubling. They are going to they are going to have CMP check our smart meter. After that, there are 80 people in front of me in line. They are reviewing hundreds a day. She said that since the October 30th storm, nothing has been right. That was the day their new billing system went online, said they are not allowing any disconnects, keep the complaints coming, end quote. I've been in touch with CMP spokesperson Gail Wright several times concerning this over the last week or two. Uh, here is the most recent explanation uh, in an email response yesterday, she says, quote, As I've stated earlier, there are a couple of factors in play. Increases in prices for electricity supply. CMP has no control over these prices. Standard offer increased on January 1st and much colder than average temperatures in both July or both, excuse me, July, right? December and January, end quote. And uh, she does give statistics uh, demonstrating how much colder December was than normal. Uh, I've also uh, been in contact with Harry Lanfear, a spokesperson for the Public Utilities Commission, who told me yesterday that they have not received an abnormal number of calls regarding the CMP bills, which also has been what CMP has told me as well. Uh, That's in direct contradiction to what people are reporting on social media and what I've also been told privately by some who are involved. Landfair excuse me, Landfair of the PUC encourages anyone who has concerns to get in touch with the PUC. I'll give this number now and I'll give it again at the end of the program. The number is 1-800-452-4699 if you have concerns about sudden increase uh, in your CMP bill beyond what you would expect for the windstorm and a a, a smaller rate hike that they have recently passed. Or if you have any concerns at all, that's a PUC's number. One of the people who is affected by all of this is Jennifer Gamage of uh, Dixmont. She's had CMP out to her house to investigate this sudden major increase in her bill. She's joining us now by phone. Welcome to Main Currents, Jennifer. Hi, thank you. So what's happening with uh, with your bill? Um, well, um, we moved into this house in August. It was a foreclosure. We rewired the whole house. Um, we also have all brand new appliances, hot water tanks, cold water tanks. Uh, we have no furnace. We have two wood stoves. We cook on one of them. So our electricity use is very low. The cold weather should not impact my electric bill due to the fact I use wood stoves. Um, and our bill has shown fluctuations. Um, they're saying we use anywhere from 89 kilowatt hours to 120 um, a day. <laughs> We've had our electrician in here that did rewire the house, and he is a renowned electrician, very well known. And um, he has said he tested everything. We aren't losing power anywhere. Um, really, there's no explanation for it. Space heaters, air pumps? Out. I'm sorry? Space heaters, air pumps? No, nothing. Okay. No, we have nothing like that at all. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. The only thing that runs all day is two Xboxes and two flat-screen TVs. At this point, even my washer and dryer, uh, my washer froze up, so I'm not even using my washer and dryer right now. Um, but when I talked to CMP, they sent somebody out. They changed the meter around to a smart meter. It was an older one. 
Um, they checked the transformer. Then they put another meter in that's supposed to read how much electricity is being pushed by the pole and how much is being pulled by the house. That came back fine as well. And at that point, I said, well, okay. I said, online, I'm noticing by all these comments that the people that are having issues with their bill don't have access to um, your usage information where you can see it instantaneously on cmp.com or cmpco.com. I don't have access to this, the energy manager. So then they looked into that, and they said, well, there's a communication issue. <laughs> so then when I called them back, and they're still trying to say it wasn't their fault, they said, well, now I have my lawyer involved, and they are going to contact the Maine Utilities Commission, amongst other places. I have 20 pages of complaints on Facebook um, of comments, and then all of a sudden everything was uh, CMP's fault, <laughs> according to them, and that there was this, we were too far from a communication box, um, and that's going to be looked into. It's been about two weeks, and I haven't heard anything since. And my bills are still around $500 a month. So have you, uh, so you're waiting to hear back from CMP. Have you been in touch with PUC at all? Had any luck there? Um, yes, I tried to call them a couple times. Um, and there's an online form to fill out, uh, which I'm actually, I need to get on that and do that. I haven't done that yet. Um, but... And I have been in contact with our family attorney just to see if there's anything that can happen with this because there's no way my family of five can afford a $500 a month electric bill um, every month. It's completely unaffordable. We we would have our power shut off. So did yours double or how much did yours go up percentage-wise? Well, in August it showed, starting in August it wasn't that much. I want to say, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think in August it was saying 200 and something, uh, which we had two ACs running, and we also have a sump pump running out back to water our garden, power equipment, all of that. So that didn't shock me at all. Um, And then in October, it dropped right down to like 30 kilowatt hours usage. I'm see, August, September. And then come October, um, it shot right up to 89. November, I think it showed 102 kilowatt hours a day. Um, December was 89 again. And then in January, it was 98, which is, like I said, our our electrician's been in here a number of times testing the amps and the usage and everything else, and there's nothing. Uh, First, CMP tried to blame it on my uh, appliances, saying, well, it's your cold water tank trying to keep, or your hot water tank trying to stay warm. Well, my hot water tank, we purposely locate we located it upstairs behind the wall that the wood stove is on. So it's actually the warmest room in the house. Um, So that's not an option. (laughs) Then they tried to say it was a high usage house prior, but that didn't work either because we rewired the whole house. So according to CMP, this is a brand new house. So that answer didn't work either. And then they tried to blame it on us growing uh, marijuana in our house, which we are not doing. So all of these things (laughs) do not apply. And this is also the same stuff that, oh, and along with um, our appliances being broken, it must be an appliance. Well, all of my appliances are brand new within a month to six months old. So I have 10-year warranties on all my appliances. It can't be that. Right. So, um, again, these are all the complaints that seems as though everybody else on um, social media seems to be complaining about as well and that they said all these things. And it wasn't until I brought this up to the CMP people customer service and said that, you know, had all these complaints I see on Facebook. And they said, no, there wasn't. And I said, yes, there is. There's, I, I just printed off 20 pages of it. 
and then kind of things started to change. When I mentioned my lawyer being involved, things started to change. When I mentioned contacting the Maine Utilities Commission, they seemed to get a little bit more alert and on board with it. So, I mean, like I said, we can't afford it. I can afford, I'll go out and buy a propane generator if I have to, but I am not paying $500 a month. Thanks for sharing your story with us today, uh, Jennifer. Keep us up to date, would you? Yes, I will. Thank you very much. Thank you. So Jennifer is just one of, uh, I'm saying conservatively, dozens of people. I Actually, if I'd gone back and counted over the last couple of weeks, there may be over 100 people. The posts are taking place in several different places on Facebook. And every time somebody posts something, immediately people are jumping on with their stories. And in many cases, they're talking about bills that have doubled or tripled. And I, I earlier told you what the response has been from uh, CMP and from the PUC, they've been, uh, they've told me just in the last day that they have not received an inordinate amount of complaints about this and that they don't think there's a problem on their end. Today in Augusta, uh, there was a public meeting that was taking place uh, before the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee to talk about CMP's response to the windstorm. And this uh, is not a public hearing exactly, but it's, it's structured sort of like a public hearing in that they're allowing people to come up and take a few minutes to talk about their experiences. When we went to air, it was still happening. Uh, we recorded some of the meeting before we uh, came on the air. And this is interesting. A couple of people did try to bring up this billing issue. So there's a link here. They were shut down by uh, by one of the committee chairs and not allowed to really get into that. But you'll hear the reference. And also that a lot of people, including town managers, uh, town officials from a lot of rural towns are there complaining about the way the aftermath of the windstorm in October was handled. So, again, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU, and we're going to go now to some of this public meeting that's taking place this afternoon in Augusta. We will be shifting now to the next portion, which is the informational meeting on the October windstorm, impacts, uh, restoration efforts, successes, failure, etc. And before I turn over the gavel to Senator Woodsum, um, I just want to... Um, begin by saying that we look forward today to hearing from uh, many different stakeholders. Obviously not everyone who has something to say on this matter. Um, I know I've heard from uh, really hundreds of people all around the state. Um, and this is the first time that our committee has been able to take a look at this issue. Um, we are keenly aware that there is an ongoing um, inquiry and investigation at the Public Utilities Commission uh, relating to this matter as well. And our purpose here is really different and parallel to uh, the PUC investigation. Um, and in our role as lawmakers, we make the policies. We make the, the actual laws. And then the PUC interprets and enforces those policies. So our interest today in hearing about this is to determine at a later meeting, uh, by looking at uh, reviewing our uh, laws and policies, uh, whether those need updating in light of what we hear this afternoon, or perhaps don't. And um, that's really going to be our focus. I think um, the people who you will hear from this afternoon, um, and there will be a, a, a public comment period where anyone can come up to the mic, but the folks who um, have asked for some time to speak to us uh, will represent a very broad cross-section of interests and perspectives on the event that occurred on October 30th and, uh, and in the days, weeks afterwards. Um, so with that, uh, I think I will turn it over to my co-chair. Just a reminder to please silence any cell phones 
and uh, settle in. We're going to hear some uh, some interesting perspectives today. Thank you for coming. Oh, and if I may, uh, just one other thing. I, I think um, we have a very minimal um, list of, of, of where folks are from that are coming up today and, and uh, their um, qualifications and positions. So please feel free as you come up to introduce yourself to us a little bit and say um, what perspective you bring um, to begin your remarks. Um, we'll begin with a couple of representatives. We have some, um, some uh, municipal perspectives. We have a consumer-owned um, uh, utility. Uh, we have both of our investor-owned utilities, uh, also the public advocate and the PUC, um, among others uh, that are coming up today. And uh, we look forward to hearing first primarily from the public and folks that have uh, you know, taken time off work to come here. And we're going to give the uh, PUC and the uh, TNDs the last word this afternoon. Um, so I hope you can stick around for that. Senator Woodson. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Representative Barry. Dave Woodson, State Senator co-chair of the committee here, <clears throat> and we're going to stick to the topic of the storm, <clears throat> right, and what you experienced and what you saw are uh, suggestions. We're not going into other areas of uh, policy or rates or anything else. What I have on my agenda here first is Representative Fay. Which chair is the lucky chair? <laughs> <laughs> this one. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm Representative Jessica Fay. I represent part of Raymond, part of Poland, and part of Casco, which is House District 66. Some have joked that's because they don't trust me with a whole town. Um, so uh, I, I'm here because I've had some conversations with uh, a lot of folks in my district and uh, our town manager and our um, our public works director around some of the issues that happened with the October windstorm. Um, and I'm really glad to be able to, to share some of these stories. Uh, one of them is actually very personal. You have a photograph of a very large tree that I discovered in front of my house at about 6.30 in the morning. Um, and that tree stayed there for four days. And it was a major, uh, my road is a major road, and it's a major route that uh, commuters follow. Um, so at about 6.30, uh, I walked out to see this tree suspended on the wires, and uh, about a minute later, I saw a car come driving up the road, and, and the car slammed right into the tree. Um, the person that was driving the car was not injured. The tree was there for four days, and the reason it was there for four days was because nobody from the Public Works Department could get any information from anyone at CMP that the wires were safe to touch. Um, they were ready to, to remove the tree, um, you know, power outage aside. Um, this was a little bit of a, a obviously, a, a safety issue. Um, so, so my ask on this is that um, if we're thinking about policy and we're thinking about communication, um, maybe we can figure out a way for CMP to communicate with local municipalities or set up some sort of system for that. That's sort of my first ask. Um, like everywhere, there were lots of customers in Raymond who went without power for days. Um, but 
part of the reason why a lot of folks didn't have power was because there were switches that were turned off. So there were folks that went for, for five or six days in Raymond without power for no reason. Um, and I understand the safety issues, I really do. But again, if we had had that communication, um, folks may have been able to say, if they could have gotten through, you know, I don't have power, someone come, look, there's no, there's no problem here, and flip the switch back on. Um, one of the folks that had that issue was the town manager. <laughs> uh, so I, I promised I'd mention that. <laughs> um, so other issues are what I think what we hear in the news, similar to, um, to other towns. Um, but the last big one was there was a whole neighborhood um, that is a, it's sort of a, one of those camp roads, one of those fingers that were last to be addressed. Um, but on, on the, the day before they got their power back, someone was up on the road and did what we were asked not to do, which is grabbed a, a CMP crew or, or one of the uh, line crews and, um, you know, said, hey, when are we having power back down there? And they didn't even know that these folks didn't have power which I thought was a, was a big problem, and it's something I really wanted to point out. Um, so uh, I think the takeaway from my community was communication. Um, you know, even if it's not returning power right away, at least letting folks know what's happening, um, making sure that CMP has the personnel to do that, um, and, you know, take a look at the smart meters and, and how well are they really working. So that's really what I wanted to share with the committee. And if anyone has any questions, I can try Thank to you. answer them. Any questions? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, Representative Warren Cassas. <clears throat> Thank you all very much. Thank you, everyone in attendance. <clears throat> to this conversation, it's the remarks that I have are about uh, the billing cycle that followed the storm. I believe that they are related, but I'm not sure if you want me to read the remarks specific to the billing cycle because that has been a significant concern in my community and the surrounding communities. But trying to show respect to the committee in how you said you wanted this conversation to go. Will there be an opportunity to talk about the billing cycles at a later date? Um, I, I think it's important in throughout the afternoon that uh, where a point has been made that, you know, that folks, uh, we, we certainly, you know, encourage folks to, uh, to say, you know, me too, and, um, you know, and, and, and not uh, dwell on, on an issue we've touched on too much, but to give a unique uh, personal perspective on that is fine. Um, I think for, if I understand uh, what you have in mind, uh, Representative Casas, um, it's related to uh, a, a theory that the, the smart grid infrastructure having crashed may have led to some billing issues. So if, if, you, could, if you could briefly touch on that, I think, I think that would be appropriate. I don't think we want to get too far down that rabbit hole, though. And Senator? I would prefer not. 
Then what I will um, do is just very briefly touch on maybe a very quick request to the committee, which is at your all's uh, discretion. I think that it would be appropriate to have a public hearing about some of the concerns on the billing cycles that followed the storm, because it, again, is something that I have been hearing from my constituents and the surrounding communities extensively. And it is a theory that they are tied. Um, so only saying that uh, a lot of folks have seen somewhere between a 200 and a 300 percent increase in their bill over okay. since then. All right, thank you. But uh, on the storm uh, specifically, uh, just building on what Representative Faye said, um, my public works and my fire department were out scurrying around trying to do everything that they can, and it was a very similar issue that they were there ready and willing with chainsaws and experience to remove and clear debris but it was the ambiguity around, is this a hot line? Is this a cold line? What is this line and the difficulties in understanding from CMP where they could work and where they couldn't? So after talking it out with uh, the local fire departments and public works, it seemed like there was an opportunity for CMP to work well with um, county-wide emergency management. The county folks have a very good understanding about the capabilities within their own counties. So if county EMA was understanding and in close contact with CMP, we can have folks on the ground from the municipalities aiding and assisting, but it was just that, again, the ambiguity around which is a hot line, which is a cold line, and not understanding where CMP was at led to a lot of these trees being down for longer than maybe they should have when local resources were there to do the work, but no line is safe to touch ever. Do you have, <clears throat> did you have any conversation with a local Public Works, uh, this last storm versus the 98 ice storm, the difference in communication? Not in the difference in communication specifically, but more around just the lack of communication in the most recent one. Uh, I think that that's a good thing to look into and find out if that previous storm, the communication lines were better, if that's a, a way to build in better communication. Okay. Yes. <laughs> a, a question to the chairs through the chairs to the audience, I think the representative brings up an important point in terms of county EMA, whether or not they were mobilized during that period, uh, because that is a significant juncture in terms of disseminating information. So I was wondering if the chairs could poll the audience to determine whether or not anyone will be speaking on behalf of county emergency management. Is there anyone here? <clears throat> One? So um, without going into detail about the billing, I, I just want to make sure I understand. It sounds like your, your, your concern is, or your constituents' concerns re relate to what we do know that during the storm, the AMI system, the Advanced Metering Infrastructure System, crashed. And their question to, to, to us, to CMP, to anyone really is whether the crashing of that system may have led to some of these issues they've seen since in, in the billing. Is that right? From my understanding, that's that's one component of it. And the other component, again, theoretically, is the new billing system that CMP has put in. And uh, what we are theorizing is those two things together with the post-storm cleanup has led to some disarray in the billing and folks, myself included, and my wife's business included, and, and many folks seeing a uh, substantially and unrealistically high spike in our usage. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, real quick, 
Representative Casas, where do you represent again? Camden, Rockport, and the island of Islesboro. Thank you. And I look forward to coming in front of the committee and testifying some of my constituents' remarks and my own remarks when we take up the issue of CMP's billing specifically. So thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU, and uh, we are reporting in this half hour about the movement that's mostly taking place online of dozens, if not more than 100 people who are saying that their bills have doubled and tripled uh, since the storm in October, most specifically for many of them just in this past month. CMP and PUC are reporting that they're not getting a lot of phone calls about this and that there's no problem. Uh, CMP saying there's no problem on their end. This uh, meeting that you're hearing. It's not a technically a public hearing. It was a meeting uh, that was going on as we went to air this afternoon before the Legislature's U- Energy Utility and Technology Committee was to discuss CMP's response to uh, the windstorm. Many representatives of rural towns there who were disappointed with how they handled the aftermath of the windstorm in October. As you've heard, some of them tried to bring up the issue of billing and whether that's related and they were shut down the uh, co-chair that you heard shutting down discussion regarding that was senator uh, david woodsom uh, he's a republican co-chair on the committee we're going to hear a little bit more of this until we run out of time back to this afternoon's meeting representative ackley thank you mr chair senator it's good to see you again representative barry and the rest of the committee. I'm uh, Representative Kent Ackley. I'm a son of Monmouth. And uh, today I'm a son of Litchfield, also part of my district. I brought with me the uh, high school classmate of mine, who is also the public works director for Monmouth, uh, Mr. Bruce Balfour. And uh, I was hoping to have a representative from uh, the Board of Selectmen from the town of Litchfield visit us today, but instead Uh, She sent remarks that uh, she asked me to read to you today. Her name is uh, Raina Leibowitz. And why don't I start off with just reading uh, the letter that uh, uh, originally was addressed to the Public Utilities Commission, but I think is uh, pertinent today uh, with regard to the response that was uh, experienced in the town of Litchfield. Like many communities in Maine, the town of Litchfield experienced many fallen trees, blocking roadways and felling power lines as a result of the wind and rainstorm of October 29 and 30 in 2017. While power restoration was a goal, the forced closure of roads preventing emergency services uh, to major portions of the town created the most pressing and immediate danger. An attempt to work with Central Maine Power to test lines to ensure they were de-energized so public works crews could cut and or remove blockages resulted in serious delays in opening roads to residential and commercial traffic. The town of Litchfield wishes to inform you of our dissatisfaction with the performance of Central Maine Power Uh, particularly the management, in responding to the public safety concerns of this community, and we respectfully request an investigation into their policies and procedures. The fact that nearly every home and business was without power is not the issue that we are writing about today. 
Rather, it is the lack of response to public safety and public works officials relating to the high number of closed roads due to downed power lines impacted by fallen trees. A majority of roads in Litchfield had to be closed because of these fallen trees and wires, making it impossible to respond to fire, law enforcement, and medical emergencies in many parts of our town. Our public works crew, they were prepared to cut and push aside down trees as soon as CMP personnel could confirm that they were not energized. We could not get CMP to send us personnel to verify the lines were de-energized, so our public works crews would not risk electrocution. Our road commissioner recognized the hazard of trying to cut trees away with power in the wires, but many citizens did not recognize this hazard and drove through the tree debris, putting themselves in grave danger. Working with the Kennebec County Emergency Management Agency, we requested a point of contact at CMP, be it a manager in the office or a supervisor on site. We could work with someone we could work with to coordinate the opening uh, of the transportation routes and prioritizing the response at a local level. The response from CMP is that, quote, they don't do that. However, the Kennebec Journal on November 1 carried an article about the CMP response to the storm in the Portland service area, and on page two, column four of that article stated, quote, James Castorella, the meter supervisor, is the contact for all public works and public safety officials in the service area. They call about which roads are blocked by trees and what needs to be opened first to get to the down lines. We get a quote, we get a sense of their top priorities, he said. This is exactly, sorry, unquote. This is exactly what the town of Litchfield was requesting, but our requests were completely ignored. We hope this commission, this committee, to, will investigate the handling of downed power lines as it has affected our public safety and transportation for residential and commercial users. The community feels it was greatly underserved and citizens were put at risk unnecessarily by the failure of CMP to work with our public safety and public's, public works officials. Thanks very much, and I'm happy to answer questions. I know uh, Mr. Balfour here has... Uh, a statement as well. Any questions for the good representative? <clears throat> Mr. Balfour. Yes, go ahead. Are you going to provide us copies of the letter? Sure, I'm happy Thank to you. do that. Mr. Balfour. I don't have anything quite like that to That's read right. off, but Just, uh, mine's simple. I've been public works director in town a moment. I was there for the ice storm. This, that makes any difference, but... Uh, about the ice storm was much worse than what we had. But we did have a section of North Monmouth that had was essentially blocked off from everybody. People was driving under these trees, but emergency vehicles couldn't get through and uh, fire trucks and things. And school buses, school buses. It disrupted a whole school bus route. Parents had to bring their children out to where they could be picked up. Uh, had no contact with anybody from CMP. Even the workers around said, we were told to go here, and I don't know where we're going next. So we didn't know when we was two weeks, I think, with uh, that section of town being walked off. 
And then finally, uh, somebody's tree service showed up, cut the tree down, and cleared the lines, and then we were able to clean it up. And it was, it was real easy to, we were ready to do it. And uh, during the storm event, the, we worked closely with the fire department as well. They were out there trying to clear roads as we were too. Uh, and we would write down trouble areas, poll numbers, and we had them calling into CNP all these areas. And uh, so they had a list generated of areas of concern, but uh, that got left out for some reason. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. That's all we have time for. I um, want to say the, uh, the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee did something in that meeting today that I haven't heard elsewhere. They let the public testify first. So uh, that, And that meeting was still going on as we uh, went to air today. If you have a comment for the Energy Utilities uh, and Technology Committee at the legislature, you can go to legislature.maine.gov and get their contact information. And again, the PUC, CMP say they haven't been hearing from people. So if this is an issue that concerns you, you can contact them. Uh, the number for CMP is on your bill. The number for the PUC to contact the Public Utilities Commission is 800-452-4699. There are two Facebook groups going uh, that have a lot about this issue. Uh, one is the Midcoast Message Board on Facebook. Another that has just started is Central Maine Power Grab. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown here with John Greenman. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up next. And join us here every Tuesday at 4 on Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. You're listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Here's a quick look at the National Weather Service forecast for the greater Bangor, Midcoast, and Downeast regions. For tonight, mostly clear to start, then becoming partly cloudy. Overnight lows 10 to 17. Winds will be out of the west at 10 to 15 miles per hour, shifting to the north at 5 to 10 after midnight. Wednesday, expect snow. Snow accumulation between 2 to 5 inches. Highs will be around 25 to 32. Winds